Dive into honest and in-the-moment conversations about the power of music and other engaging topics with some of the world's best DJs, producers, artists, engineers, and others from the Serato Studio. This is Serato Unscripted. In this episode, we're talking to the legends, Kenny Dope and Jazzy Jeff at South by Southwest 2019. Here, Kenny and Jeff speak about meeting each other, their first tour, getting into music production, and discovering lost vinyl gems. This is Serato Unscripted. All right. What's up, Kenny? Yeah. Jeff? Yeah. What's up? For those who are just tuning in, we've got Kenny Dope here, and we've got the magnificent Jazzy Jeff. Yes, yes, yes. And we are in Austin, Texas. South by Southwest. Right. 2019. Yes, yeah. yes. How are you guys good. doing? It's good. It's good. Good. You know, flight just got in and chilling. Where are you coming from, Kenny? Jersey, New Jersey. So just... Home? Yeah. Yep. You come from the road, right, Jeff? Yeah, I was. So I was out all over the place. Jeff. Yeah, I just came from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, altitude was really high up there, so I'm happy wow, to be in crazy. Texas and get some good food and and be stable for a week. Right. Word. What's planned for this week? We got we got some barbecue coming up this week, right? We got some barbecue. Uh, I played uh, Rec Philly last night. Tonight, I'm with uh, Kenny, and we're doing a a house party, so I'm 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 excited about that. That's dope. And, uh, we're doing a playlist barbecue out here, and we're doing a super super duper big party um, on Wednesday with Just Blaze and Z Trip and A Track and Scratch Bastard. And, so it's a full week. Do you guys get to play together often, or is that kind of rare? No, no, not nah, as nah, often nah. as I would like. Um, yeah, we played a lot before in the '90s. We played more. Um, but now, yeah, not lately. Yeah, yeah. So this is gonna be good tonight. Yeah, some fun. So look, this is a pretty naive question, but I have no idea how you guys originally met. Yeah, well, it goes back to wow, probably like ninety three, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Or oh, actually, maybe ninety three, ninety four. I had a friend who worked at Arista Records. And I was doing my DJ rounds and picking up vinyl and stuff. And he was promoting, I think, big at the time. And when I walked into the office, Jeff was on the phone. You remember Dave Engelhoff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so, so Dave, um, I guess when I walked in, he was like, oh, Kenny Dope just walked in. And Jeff was on the line. I was like, oh, my God. And Jeff God. was like, oh, I want to talk to him. And then that was it pretty much. You know, once we connected, he was he, we got on the phone. We rapped for a minute. He's like, yo you know, come down to Philly. And that was pretty much it after that. You know, we've been friends ever since. Yeah. You know? That's a pretty close drive, Jersey to Philly. And then it was crazy. Hour and a half, because, hour and a half, yeah. You know, I, I had so many of Kenny's records that uh, like when he said Kenny was on the phone, I'm like, oh my God, you know, just, you know, Kenny, Kenny was uh, uh, the unofficial king of Philly party breaks and he didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. um, there were so many things that like at, at, at a at a party in Philly that you would play um, of just all of these records that Kenny made that, you know, trying to, you know, let him letting him know, you know, um, you know, just how much of a fan I was and how many records that I had. So what were some of those records? Like? Oh, man. Gunshot. <laughs> Um, 
it was a it was a couple of records that I don't remember the name. Um, Sonny remember the name. What was the? Oh, just a little yeah. dope. Oh man. It was so many of those, you know, um, that you would just play in Philly and they were just anthems. People would go crazy over them. And it was crazy because um, I didn't know this was happening. So I'm from Brooklyn, from Sunset Park. I'm just doing these records or whatever. And, you know, at that time, labels wasn't really telling you where they were selling records and all of that. So when we connected, it's just like, wow, like, you know, it's, it's somebody that you look up to and you're seeing them play in the Union Square thing and that whole thing and it's just like, wait a minute, I'm on the phone with him. So then so then it's like go down to the house or whatever and then he's explaining all this stuff and I'm like, it's crazy because I'm this kid from Brooklyn or whatever just doing these things in the house and just putting them out. But what's crazy about that song is, is that that started the whole drum and bass thing. Oh, really? Yeah, because they used to play that on 45 in Europe. But just... And that's, and that's what started all those tones and all that ah. stuff and that's how so it's like those records like they cross like so many different lanes mm -hmm. you know and what was crazy about that too is is the whole concept was you know to make these little interlude records to segue into different genres you know coming from Brooklyn you know we play you know we play funk we play soul we play hip hop we play disco um, at that time, there was uh, Latin hip hop. They call it freestyle music. Oh yeah. So you would do these little breaks to go in. So that's why mm -hmm. there was like reggae mixed with hip hop because it trans. We, we that was a transition. Yeah. And those all those records that came out were just on real to real because Shh. we would play them at the party to go from one to the other. They were on real to real. We we used to well yeah well we used to mix them down to real to real. Okay. So. Before the dub plate, and the Jamaicans had the dub plates where they would make their own dub plates, but for us, we would uh, mix them down to reel to reel to quarter inch, and that's how you could mix them in into the set. At a, at a club? At a club, yeah, at no the parties. Way. Yeah, so so you would press play, boom, and, and they had pitch control, and it was a Tascam 32 that we used to use. And then later on, there was a Techniques, uh, I think it was a 1504, that was a two-track as well that had a loop. And you would just wind it up and just press play and, and mix it in. That's crazy. So you'd be going yeah. task yeah. like Tascam or reel to reel to turntable. Yeah, yeah. Vinyl. You had it. You had it in your setup. Oh my so that's gosh. how that's how you played all the exclusive stuff. That is wild. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. So it's like so even like Todd Terry. You know, Todd Terry was you know a friend of ours. So anything that he made at home, he would co make copies. And bring us he's like, yo, I just did this new beat. So I, I played party people first without no samples in it, just the beat. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of those early records, um, we tried them at the at the local parties. It was two, you know, 150 people, 200 people, but that's where we tested them. You know what I mean? And that's how it was. So that was the early, yeah. our early test pressing kind of testing to see what worked and what didn't work. Was but that, all those are, were on real to reels, yeah. So was that? I mean, that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. Yeah. I, I, so do you bring? Did they? Do you bring that, or was that already at the club, or was that part nah, of the like sound system? These, these were parties that we were doing. Like we were Drawing renting the top of a Tom McCann shoe store, and you know <laughs> oh my God. that kind of stuff. And the floor was rocking, and it was like you know, 
it was a hundred kids from the neighborhood, you know. We would charge five dollars. There was no bar. It was just like you know, beer and water and soda and shit, you know. Um, but yeah, that was part of the setup. It was just like I said, it was just something to do the segues. Yeah, you know what I mean? To go from one from the reggae set to the hip hop set, from the hip hop set to the house set. You know what I mean? Or yeah. vice versa and back and forth. I mean, that's that's actually one of the questions I wanted to talk to you guys both about mm -hmm. because um, you know, talking with Sonny and 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 what. You know, Philly has has influenced DJs as well as New York, of course. Sure. But a mm -hmm. lot of that is like a, a broad range of genres. It's mm -hmm. not just hip hop or not just house. Uh -huh. And you guys are known as like, I mean, I think you're primarily known as a house DJ. Mm -hmm. um, you're known as a house DJ, but mainly I'd, I'd say think people think of you as a hip hop guy mm -hmm. based on productions that you guys yep. are known for. But you're both extremely well versed in, like you were saying, many different genres. And Philly is known for that uh, party rock and style. New York's known for that being able to play multiple genres. I think I think the whole thing for both of us is, and I could, I could definitely speak for Jeff as well too, because it's like we're brought up on music. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and And when you're brought up on music and then you learn how to play music and you, you, there's no boundaries, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you we learned, I'm sure Jeff can tell you about somebody that that was older than him that he saw play music he might have not been cutting up and stuff like that, but he was blending records and he was mixing disco with funk and funk with soul and, you know, early early band stuff or breaks or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. The same thing for me. You know, my neighborhood was Puerto Rican, but around me I had a lot of different nationalities. You know, I had, you know, Italians, hardcore Italians to the, to the right of me. I had Jewish above me. I had Jamaican and African-American to the left of me. So that alone, you have Latin music, mm. you mm. have Italian high energy disco stuff. Oh right, like Italo disco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you had you know Jamaican, African, and and soul and funk music on this side. Yeah, we're in the middle. We're getting all of that. So you know, and everybody mixed together. You know, we were all in the same neighborhood, listening to all Latin music one day, soul music another day, break beats another day. It was just so as a DJ. When you come into this, you learn that. It's just, it's in you already. So it's like when you did a block party, you played everything. Yeah. You didn't play just trap or you didn't play yeah. just house or you didn't play just reggae because everybody was there. You had all these different types of people that wanted to hear different stuff. So that's that's instilled in us. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And him coming from Philly, yeah. like with all the gambling huff stuff and all, the, all that movement, come on. Like, you know, hip hop was afterwards. You know, yeah, yeah and, he could, and, and, that's, and he could he could touch yeah, up on that. I don't think that. people no. really understand that we were DJing pre hip hop, so there wasn't hip hop. It was all of the elements that kind of made hip hop up. You know, the, my first block party, I was playing mass production and brass construction and barcades and confunction, and you know, you're playing all of this funk and soul, and that's what the kids danced off of. It mm -hmm. wasn't you know because it wasn't hip hop. So when hip hop kind of came along, you just added that in. You didn't subtract anything. Right. You just kind of added. You got a, got a whole new genre of music that you that you just kind of add in. And especially hip hop was based off of all of these other musics that you know half of the hip hop records that they're making. You know where the original came from because it was all based off of someone cutting breaks and and doing it live before somebody took it in the studio and made it. So it was very genreless, and I I don't think I ever lost that. You know. Coming up in a hip hop group, 
being dubbed a hip hop artist, all of that started with all kinds of music. Like it wasn't, you know. You have to play just this. You know, that's the and, fundamentals and, yeah. too. It's the fundamentals of yeah. this of, of what it's we music. do. You know what like I mean? a, 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 to me, a real DJ plays music. Yeah, music of all kinds. It's my job is to play music to make you move. Whatever kind of music that is, I'm gonna play it. If 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 it can make you move, I'm I'm playing it. And and that's uh, that's kind of interesting to me because I think what you just stated when you said you just played music before hip hop even existed, when when the 808 and drum machines and technology came in, that's kind of when hip hop was created, right? Because they had now they had the ability to take a loop and then add a drum break and and then you could press that to record and you obviously rap over it. But that introduction of the 808 to that. It, it happened a little before that. Mm -hmm. I think. I think. I think with the Sugar Hill stuff and the Enjoy, right. where they were, you had Pumpkin, who's a, a drummer, who a producer, who who made was able to hear a break and replicate it, right, live, and, like the, and, and and give it his own twist. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So so that that to me was the beginning of of hip hop for me. Before the before the the electronic stuff, you know what I'm saying. Before '82, talking like '77, '78, '79, I was nine years old. You know what I'm saying, '79. But though I remember all the Sugar Hill shit. Because yeah. Rapper's you know? Delight was an interpolation. It was like they, yeah, they it was good the, time. Yeah, but but the Spoonie G records and, yeah. and and the Funky Four plus one more records, and Treacherous Three, Treacherous Three, and those those are crazy. You know, and that that all comes from cassette tapes of you know tapes from Bronx River and stuff like that, you know, that they were doing live and live jams. Right. So yeah, it's 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 crazy. And and if you go back, some of those cold crush routines are, are rock records. Yeah. You know, right. I've I spoken to Kaz before and he was like, yo, that's those are those are yeah. rock melodies and, and it and it's just the influences you they're from where you least expect it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it's about, again, like Jeff said, it's just music. music. Like, you know, getting a vibe and say, oh, you know what? I like these lines. Let me flip that. So, you know. And, and like, do you think that, like, a lot of the records that people were finding were, you know, like Bob James records? I don't, like, my, when I spoke to my father about Bob James, he was mm. like, no one really cared for Bob James you know, in his circle. It's true. And, yeah, and, it's true. and these were records that were quite common because they didn't sell particularly well. It's, it's true because in, in 85, I worked in a record store and when I first, there was a cutout section and when I first started digging in, in into the breaks, I remember Joe, the owner, he was like, Bob James, nobody <laughs> wants that shit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They didn't sell at all. Yeah. But he had some beats on his stuff. You Great know what beats. I mean? You know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I could listen to Nautilus like all, all day. day long. <laughs> yeah. I just day. don't get. I never got tired of it. Yeah, me you too. Know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. But when the technology started coming in, like, how did that change the sounds that you guys were playing? Like, well, I mean, you know, I th I think, um, you know, I kind of remember the early eight oh eight records, you know, and 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 you hearing this sound, and you wanted to know, you know, how was it, you know, especially like for me, you know, it, it's. It's it's funny that you knew the names of a lot of these machines. They were very far out of your price range, you know, being super young to be able to get. I remember Mattel's coming out with the Synsonic drums that kind of gave you a little bit of something that you kind of got for Christmas. And I think that kind of gave a lot of people the bug. Um, being able to afford a 606 drum machine, 
um, and learning how to step sequence and and you hearing these records, you know, the the you know, for me, like the 808 was very far out of reach for me. Right. I had a 606 and I had a 303 that I could never figure out how to program because <laughs> mm-hmm. back then the 303 was just too hard. But just making these, you know, making these beats, you know, we would do DJ setups and you would plug the 606 up to your mic input and, you know, halfway through your set, you would just start playing beats that you made. Um, and I think it just kind of grew, you know, you, you, you know, it's the, you 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 know the names of these machines um you know i remember the first time going to someone's studio and seeing the 808 in the flesh that it's kind of like oh my god this you know it's a real 808 um and then being able to get one and then get a 909 like you know you 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 go through the progressions of all of these machines you know as they started changing and then the sound started changing because you know you were very limited on the sounds that you had like the, you know you could kind of tweak the sounds but it was what it was, you know, especially back then. But, you know, you, you, you know the machines and then you hear people make these records on these machines, Arthur Baker, or Bambada, like you're just kind of like, you know, I know what that sound is. I may not know exactly how he got that sound, um, but I know it's that machine. So I need to figure out some kind of way to get that. <laughs> it was funny because I had a 626. What's, so I, who, who's that? Wasn't that the Rolling? Um, it was like a beige joint, right? Okay. And I remember getting that, and I, I'm into breaks, right? So I'm over here thinking I could program, and I'm like, but this doesn't sound like those records, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I was just like, and that's that was the beginning stages of of me wanting to dissect things, yeah. and and that's how I became really crazy at programming because I was just I got so wrapped into it, you know what I mean? I, with sound and Sonic, and how did they get? that reverb and and that on that snare drum and all that kind of stuff, you know? It's crazy though. Yeah, I'm interested in talking to you guys a bit about that. You guys are both really good DJs, but you're also really good producers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of pressure on DJs these these days to be mm-hmm. a really good producer and a DJ. Like how, how like, I mean, obviously you guys started as DJs first. Is that, that's right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the, the journey from a DJ into a producer how was that? Like how, I mean, you've, you're talking a bit about it just then you, you started to get these machines and you started learning how it, to do it. I wanted to be able to make whatever I heard. Like even, even from an instrument point of view, you know, when you hear these old funk records, there were sounds that I'm kind of like, what is that? Mm-hmm. You know, and especially, you know, like now you have one keyboard that does a hundred thousand sounds, you know, <laughs> back then it was one keyboard that did one sound. Yep. That is kind of like, I want that sound. You know, I love Roy Ayers, Everybody Loves the Sunshine. That's not a real string line. What is that machine mm-hmm. that makes that string sound? Um, and these were machines that they weren't making anymore. So now, not only do you have to find it pre-internet and and mm-hmm. looking up anything, then you have to scour in the pawn shops and these old uh, uh, music stores to see if they have it and then you're walking in and they're trying to sell you something brand new and you kind of like I'm looking for nah, an ARP string ensemble and they're the like what shit. do you want that? It's 10 years you know? old. Like, but you know I think the producer side came from if I played the record I want to know how it was made. I want to know what sounds they used and and that's Pandora's box because that's an art. That's an art to that. Yeah. You know being able to dissect you know the 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 records you know what i mean 
identify the sound of the oh, instrument. Yeah. And it's it's it's, it's the equipment. It's the engineer. It's the player. Mm. It's you know, but you know, like that. It's what state they were yeah. recorded it in. You know what studio they use. West Coast had a sound. East Coast had a sound. The Midwest was on their own. They were like whatever. You know the right. South. You know TK Records. Yeah. Opposed to South Soul Records up 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 north on the East Coast, totally different. Right. Two different boards. Yeah. Two different sets of studio. The whole thing. Yeah. You know Stacks Memphis. They had a sound. Oh yeah. High. You know had a sound. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And they're right next to each other. You know, they're both in the same state and they sound different. You know I, what I've mean? even heard um, Questlove talk about trying to recl- like get that Al mm-hmm. Green sound when he was doing the record and talked mm-hmm. about just trying to create those those sounds, those moments, and it's hard. But, but it's, it's, it's you got to find the sources. Yeah. You need the players. Yeah. But you also need the sources. You need that tape machine. You need that board. That microphone, they mic the the drums a certain way, the string sound they were they were micing those a certain way, and it, then you have the players, and then it all comes together like glue. You know I remember what I'm even back in the day, there's some records I've got where they say, you know, like uh, some of the funk records I have, they'll say, you know, this instrument was played by this person, and they'll specifically say the model of the instrument mm-hmm. sure. played by this person. That was yeah. I always think think of those like little gold. Like 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 Jeff was saying, like. That was my my mission was reading all those liner notes yep. because when I started doing remixes in the '90s, I wanted to know what every keyboard was and 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 dig them all out. Was out like he said, want to tap into those into that sound? You need that box. Right. You're not gonna make it otherwise. I learned that from that 606 trying to program some <laughs> breakbeat shit, and it sounded like you know. Just some bullshit, you know what I mean? So, like, this doesn't sound like the record. It's a little small. <laughs> <laughs> but you got, so you got into making party breaks, as you were saying earlier. Yeah. There's one party break, uh, Rhythm Tracks, that, uh, Rhythm Tracks house party style that mm-hmm. you used. And you, Jive that's, Rhythm Tracks. Right? Jive yeah. Rhythm Tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you know who made that? Nah, that no. was, that was Jive. They, they, I think it was from England, and I think they just made a beat record. Right. That's all it was. It was just like yeah. four beats on each side. And you used that as a tool yeah. to do that it. was just, you know, that was, that but was you know dope. what, that, that was, was one dope. of the records we were playing a party because I think when Job made that compilation, they were making beats off of popular records. So rhythm tracks, like the funny thing is, is, is craft work numbers kind of birth planet rock mm-hmm. yeah. and planet rock birth rhythm tracks. <laughs> So they were all kind of very similar, you know, similar machines. Um, and Jive just put this out almost kind of like here's a beat record that, you know, if you play Planet Rock, you could play this right next to it mm-hmm. and blend into something else. Um, and it was just something that, mm-hmm. you know, people 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 rock to off of Philly. And you they'll know, just that, get on the mic. Yeah, yeah, like that whole concept of that was us taking what people did at parties in Philly and and how can we do it? You know, if you listen to rhythm tracks, like that's why I was called rhythm tracks house party styles. Like this is what we would do in a house party. You know, you play rhythm tracks and you would scratch over top of it, and Will would say, "Hey, Jeff, do this scratch," and then you do that, and then you flip the record, and "Hey, Jeff, do this scratch," and then you would do that, and you only had a certain amount of time because you had to get all the shit done before rhythm tracks went off. Three, um, three minutes. Yeah, but that was that was that was basically it. You know, it's it's funny how so much of the stuff that you did 
you're you're taking what you did in front of 50, 100 people, not realizing that there's going to be millions of people that are going to enjoy this, Mm. you know, but everything was based off of, you know, I I, I joke about that now that those parties at the the Wynn Ballroom and the YMCA in Philadelphia, that to me, that was my Madison Square Garden. Like that was everything. You, you, you know, even, even now when you listen to those New York tapes of Harlem world and, and, and TK disco and just, just a lot of those parties, there weren't thousands of people there. There were hundreds. This was a small group of people, but this was like our Madison square garden. You know, this was everything. And, I'm, it, was, I'm and, it, was, and it was ride that because if you you messed up, yeah. they let you know. Yeah, yeah, it was a free So so yeah, you you, you there was repercussions yeah, for it. Absolutely, <laughs> but absolutely. that's how you. But that's how you got your chops. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, it was you know it's crazy like just to kind of you know look at that that you know like I, I I was talking to somebody and I was just like man you listen to this Grandmaster Flash song and Cowboy says. I want to say I'm 5'4 with a 22-inch waist. And I was like, who the fuck got a 22-inch waist? Like, you think of how young they were. Right. But that was the greatest thing in the world to me. I'm envisioning thousands of people and Grandmaster Kaz and Cold Crusher doing these routines and thousands of people. And it might have been 150 people there. Wow. But the 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 sound of the that was reception it. The is, that movement. was it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was that's it. Amazing. That that specifically about that um rhythm tracks house party style though with the mandre sample. Mm-hmm. That I, I talked to Bast about this. So obviously, I've been like, this is is just something that's quite magical about that for for me is that those two those two things work together so well. Mm-hmm. Like it just sounds like you went in the studio and you made that track. And it wasn't until Bastard actually broke it down that he showed me this record. Yeah, and he showed me the sample. He's like, this is how it's done. I, listen, I sample blended of what? that live. Sample, sample of what? Mandre. When I did Rhythm Track House Party, the don't, 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 don't. Hey, Jeff, this is what we can redo, right? Remember how we used to rock back home in Philly, right? All the house parties and all the ballrooms and stuff like that. Remember how we used to rip things up in like Bartroom and Central High and Overbrook High and all the places like that? This is what I want to do, right? I want to give these people a little taste of how we used to rock, how we used to get on the wheels of steel, used to throw the records on and just get stupid. Like Just Blaze bothered me for years <laughs> trying to find the record and then finally got the record and it was, you know, and there's a part in it that it doesn't sync on beat that I had to let it go and I had to stop it for a bar and catch it so that it would be on beat. But this wasn't sampled. I was writing that. Yeah. You know, and that's a that's a drummer. So that wasn't two electronic records. That was a drummer. Like Kenny and I were talking about that the other day, that when when you when you used to have to blend records that was a drummer, you had mental notes that you know mm-hmm. on speed up, the slow. bar after this, I need to drop it down to, you know, to negative two, and then it's gonna speed back up, and then I gotta go to negative four and then back to <laughs> yeah. you know to zero to kind of make it fit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you 
you know, when you think about it, we were mathematicians yeah. with all the rest of this. That because you had to know that almost on every record of you know, this where, is where some way how up. to ride yeah. it. Yeah, where they slowed up and sped up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Kenny, there, there's a question that I've I've heard. There's a, a probably just a, a myth, but um, I want to confirm it on this podcast. Mm -hmm. There is um, there's one thing that someone told me that you said about using the pitch fader when you're mixing that's how you should be doing you know you should be adjusting the pitch like that you shouldn't be nudging it with your hand to avoid bass frequencies that's how i learned right you know i never learned by pushing i and learned that, from here right and that's more the disco guys that's how they did it right and i guess just from watching um these two brothers that lived in my childhood days they, they used to bring out a set and that's how they they mixed everything with the they do it and boom you know and they just yeah and is what's your feeling about that style like what you just you 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 still mix like that that's that's your kind of preferred yeah. way yeah it's 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 some that never leaves you yeah. you know it's like jeff cutting you know he cuts a certain way it's just like once you learn and and you you're in your your zone that's what you do mm. you know what i'm saying i never pushed ever right you know and i guess you know i learned on b once mm -hmm. so so those were belt drive technique uh turntables and <laughs> you had to push those you did yeah yeah because they were they had they had a rubber band they didn't have a motor oh okay. yeah so you would put like these this um you remember inside um certain 12 inch sleeves that came in with that wax paper yeah. you would before you know all <laughs> these cutting rugs and all that, that yeah you used to cut the cut that out and put that underneath your slip mat and that's how you would get the rec the, so the bottom would keep moving because the belt and then you would throw them in no drag no drag right but um, I guess from learning on those, I became to have light hands, mm -hmm. and then you know, so then when I grab got on techniques, it was like nothing at that point, you know. And that so now and now you're DJing with CDJs, mm -hmm. and you're using twelves and turntables. Twelves turntables. And yeah, because it it got to a point where you know we were doing vinyl for, for a long time. Um, I'm a late late bloomer on serato um even on the cdjs and all that because I, I was still playing vinyl and stuff and you, you know, still but, play vinyl. you guys both yeah, just yeah, came yeah, on still play that. vinyl but but you know once they started the records were going missing yeah once the, once the acid those reel to reels that i was telling you about we started putting them on acetates on dub plates those started going missing mm. um it was time to, to switch up you know and, and get on a digital platform it was funny i think um I did a tour in in uh, Asia, um, and I remember coming home and realizing that I spent about thirty five hundred dollars on extra baggage charges oh carrying gosh. records. We used to and make then, the promoters pay for that. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't that well versed, but you you know you got you kind of got to a point that you had to make a decision. You know, I I, I felt like your performance was very important mm -hmm. because people are paying you to come here. So I can't bring less records and cheat them. You know, I, I'm almost looking at it like, okay, so I'm about to cheat everybody out of an experience because the airline wants to charge me more for these flights, but you're getting into this point of, I don't know how this is going to happen. And it was crazy because that was right when Serato came out that I really felt like, you know, I, I, you know, I kept saying Serato changed my DJ life or saved my DJ life because 
you know, at that exact same time, you know, like like Kenny said, record companies started not pressing records. Or they would do one press. So it was almost kind of I I, I distinctly remember um LL Cool J's doing it. Mm-hmm was one of the first records I remember that they pressed one run because I could not believe that I could not find that record. Hmm. I did not have a 12 inch. I would go into the store and they would say we're sold out. And I'm like, you're getting any more? And like, we don't know. That's crazy. And I was just like, yo, like, what do you mean? Like, this is, you know, this is people coming in. This is one of the biggest records out. It's like, yo, record. you got LL Cool J's doing it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know? And I don't know if I'm going to get it. And then I remember going to a place like Rock and Soul, and Rock and Soul had bootlegs. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like they started to save all of our lives because when the record company started making one run or one pressing run of records, you could go to a Rock and Soul and someone would press up the bootlegs of these records. So it was it it was a safety net, but it was just kind of like I I knew like that's going to be a matter of time before I come in rock and soul and the cops are going to be here and then right. oh, then shut, I can't get that. down too for that, man. You know, right. so it's just but but as a DJ, you're kind of like, yo, my job is to play this music for people and the record companies, you know, now people are making CDs and you know, cassettes that they didn't feel like pressing up the records were was was important. So you had to had to make an adjustment. Speaking of touring, um, Kenny, you were touring for a long time, and you were working while you were doing that. You were working at the studio with Touch mm-hmm. of Jazz. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. I think we wanted to get into that. Um, um, like it's funny. Like when Kenny and I got really cool, um, you know, like Kenny was the one that kind of brought me down to winter music um, and exposed me to a whole different world. Like. You know, the, the, the house world, I used to always be envious of because it was so much of a community-based thing that I was just like, how come the hip-hop world isn't like this? You know, you go down to Miami and it's 200,000 people down here and they all support the parties, you know. I, I think looking at Kenny, I was like, wow, this is really cool because you go in the studio and you make these records and then you sell these records and then you go out and you DJ with these records. And I'm like, how come we can't do that? But just pulling me into that and watching that. Um, and I remember, you know, Kenny was, you know, hey man, you know, I'm all right, I see you, I'm, I'm, I'm out for two weeks. And I'm, where, where you going? I'm going to London and I'm going to Italy and I'm going to, and I was just like, that shit is dope. Like, <laughs> yo, this is crazy. Um, and I got a call. He was just like, hey, man, they want us to do a tour together. Because I would DJ in Philly. I never stopped. But I wasn't going out. It was also weird for me because you me being group. attached to group. Will, yeah. there were people that were kind of like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get Jeff because I'm looking at Jeff and Will and their group. You know, you're not going to be able to afford Jeff. And I was kind of like, it's not even like that. I I just want to play. I'm a DJ mm-hmm. first and foremost. So it was funny when Kenny was just like, hey, man, they want us to do this tour. I was like, great, you know, because I'm going with Kenny. He's done this. This is me trying to get my feet wet. And right before the tour, I want to say it might have been about a week and a half before the tour, Kenny broke his ankle. Damn. And he was just like, you know, <laughs> and it was stopped. so funny because I was kind of like, 
I wanted to be like, so we still going, right? <laughs> and he was just like, man, I can't. You're going. <laughs> and they were like, yo, you know, they want you to do it. And I was like, nah, I was only going because I was going with Kenny. Like he was, and they were like, no, they really want you to go. I was terrified. But they end up convincing me to go. Um, I took two DJ friends of mine. Um, and I never forget the very first show that I did was in Bristol. And when I walked in, it was a venue that held like a thousand people. And I remember looking around just like, who's playing here? <laughs> and they were like, you. And I was just like, what? Because it wasn't like that in the States. Yeah, like we crazy. had parties. We didn't have a thousand people parties. So to realize that you had all of these people and it was really you're playing music, it kind of really, you know, took me back to the beginning. You know, I, that, that was pretty much when I felt like everything kind of went full circle. Um, and, and I did it. And I, it was probably one of the best times that I ever had. And I came home and they were like, oh, man, they loved you. And about two weeks later, I got a call like, hey, they want you to come back. And it was like we came back. Um, but yeah, like that, it, it would have never happened. It would have never happened if he didn't really kind of pull me pull me in. And what was crazy is like in the beginning, when I started getting publishing checks, it was just cities they couldn't even pronounce, right? So you would get these checks in, they would be a couple hundred dollars or whatever, boom, Belgium and all these countries. But then it was just like, something Todd Terry told me, he's like, look, if you wanna travel, you gotta make records, stay consistent, because what's gonna happen is those people are gonna want you to come to their country because mm. they support your music. Mm. So they're buying your vinyl, they're buying your records, so they wanna come see you. And I'm like, I'm not a band, or nothing. like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm 18 years old and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, whatever. So I keep putting out my records and then the calls start coming in, you know? from 89 to 90 and then when I hooked up with Louie, we had we formed Masters at Work and then we started doing all that. When we did that, it was over. Like there was there wasn't enough time to do the states. Yeah. More outside of the states. There was no time because think about it like this. I was in the studio 5 days a week in the states. In the, at home yep. in in New York. Yep. 18 hour days every day just wow. doing mixes, right? On the weekends, we were out. We would go overseas, go to Japan, go to Italy, whatever. Come back, back in the studio. You know what I'm saying? So any any dates, that's why like even now to this day, the US is probably my lowest market because everything was over there mm -hmm. for 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Built that up. Yeah, because there was no there was no time to actually do this here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because even if I would do like a two week run, like Jeff said, we were booking studios over there in London or wherever right. to do the work that we had that we had to do at that time because we had downtime or whatever. We would knock them out either in Japan or you know in London. London was like my second home for a long time for a good ten years because I was there so much. Mm. So. um but yeah, it was it was crazy because all the countries that played that bought these records wanted mm -hmm. you to come play mm -hmm. their club, their local club, two hundred right. people. Like yeah. going back to the Philly days, is their local shit now. Mm -hmm. Now you're in their country or their whatever, and you're playing for them. 
and then it keeps growing from there. This is like pre-internet, pre-everything. This is just that, though, those um, pieces of wax was our social media, was our, our promotion right there, you know? I think that's really important for for younger people to hear as well about the you know what producing can do for your career. I mean, you guys are both. I mean, we were talking about this. You're both known as producers, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. make from making songs, and that trend that travels further than a DJ set can. Oh man! And 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 the crazy thing is, like people think today, yo, you know, with all this stuff now, and that we can't make a living off of this, or we can't. So that's bullshit, man. Like at the end of the day, if if you know you do your merch and you do your your physical product, you know you could you and you promote yourself and let people know that that's available, you could sell units. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You could you could get that stuff off, yeah. without a doubt. You know, so this whole mystique about there's no money in music anymore is just a crock of shit. And then you got to you know keep I mean? in mind we were doing all of this with. No social media, no internet. Right. Yeah, the records you know, were moving. You know, it's kind of like now, you know, I could post a clip of a beat that I make <laughs> for a million people. Yeah. You know, so it's... It's, it's a whole other yeah. thing, yeah, for sure. Being able to combine what we did and what you can do now is amazing. Mm. The, the access is there. there. Yeah, oh my God, it's ridiculous. So speaking of, um, this is something also that's, I think, really important. House and hip hop, you know, they're so closely they come from very similar backgrounds the same a lot of the same records even mm-hmm. um but there's such a difference in not only the audience but the reach and you know you you addressed it you talked about going to winter music conference and the, the crowd was really engaged and you know i mean you've made hip-hop records and but i want you know not to cut you off no, but just just hold that thought just just to answer that real quick at one point it wasn't separate yeah right you know what i mean i think it, it it became I would say probably when did Tribe come out? Uh, ninety three, somewhere like that. Ninety three, ninety four. That's when it became separate. When you went to a club in New York, they played everything. Just before that, music, like before that, hip hop, reggae, whatever, disco, whatever, everything. And then it got to a point where <laughs> you know the house went one way and hip hop went another way. It, got, it just got separated. What do you think? Could cause that. It is politics, man. Yeah. Really? Politics, people's views, and not wanting certain people in their club and that kind of stuff, you know? Which kind of, it's separated people, period. You know, you got to understand, you got to understand, like, you got to understand, like, and and let me know if Philly was like this too. Like, I went to the tunnel before Flex had the tunnel. I went to the tunnel where DJ Roman Ricardo used to play at the tunnel. You had gay, straight, you had b-boys, you had drug dealers, you had Asian people, you had black people, you had Latin people, you had Italians, all in one spot. Everyone's Jewish people, mm-hmm. all in one spot. Drug dealers was here, the Latin people were here, they danced together, everybody respected each other, the 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 gay people stood in their lane. They knew not to, you know what I'm saying. Everybody was respectful. Yeah. But then it got to a point where, like, people just wanted to be separate from each other. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of separated everything. You know, for a long time. You Listen, know, if you, you went know, to a record store in the early '80s, there wasn't a hip hop section mm. or 
you know, it was, it was just music. music. Yeah. Everything was in alphabetical order. It was just yeah. music. And then it started turning into, now you got genres of music. Now it's, a, you know, it, it's, you know, I remember the, the early days of hip hop or even house, you know, it was house music. Now it's Afro house and disco too, house. Too, too many, such too many genres. It's uh, yeah, trap hip hop. It's old school hip hop. It's down South. It's West coast hip hop. Like, you know, it's, you know, I think that's, you know, it, it, it has gotten it to a point that not only does it separate, but it confuses people. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if somebody has a record that is a soul record, but they're, rhyming over top of it what section do you do what happens when you rhyme it's, over a house it, record it's hip house you know, is it hip yeah right. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like yeah yeah so you know it's it's it is what it is but um we're just we're just happy to do what we do yeah you know what i'm saying do you think that's changed though i mean you know you've got an artist like k Trinata who makes you know house music you know in and in a style that's very influenced by hip-hop and much the same way that you guys you know play music and make music you know, where there's an influence, clear influence of, and he makes beats, you know? I, I think it's gone back to the underground. Like somebody like Kay Trinata, there's an underground scene that doesn't care about genre music. It's kind of like, yo, that shit is dope. I'm good. Mm. You know, and I think that's what you're starting to get. I think, you know, um, you know, it, it's, there was a point in time when Tribe Called Quest was mainstream. Yeah, you know um, now it's so, old school. Yeah, so it, it's. I think Imagine it's just. That, right? You know, I think it's just getting back to that point of there's a underground scene of, you know, of of kids that just like really really good music. You know, it's you're walking in, and it's sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old kids dancing to house music. You know, having a great time. Um, you know, and and but that's not what you see that's not the the mainstream club in the city you know and is but when you think about it it was the same thing it's kind of like you know those those parties that they did on top of the shoe store that was that was for us mm. and i think that's all you're getting now you know that the parties that are for us are a lot bigger because now we have social media that you know i can just rent a hall and i could just send out a couple tweets and and have all of the people that i need to be there so how important is that to you guys i mean you guys both talk about throwing parties you know for you know your group you know or your community in a, in a mm -hmm. way and creating a, a sound from that how important is that for like a young dj that's like coming up wanting to you know that experience of throwing your own party creating like your own little vibe that's a great question going back a little bit too like that's your for us who didn't have musicians to teach us, you know, how to play an instrument, that was us teaching ourselves how to rock a crowd, mm -hmm. learn the structure of songs, seeing what's able to work and what's not <laughs> able to work. Learn the hard way. No, no, no. But 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 think about it like you you're in your spot, you're in your hundred and fifty people, whatever, but still they're gonna let you know. Yeah, if you're doing your thing or not, you know what I mean. And then, like I said, it, it's it's your time to to learn the fundamentals of song structure and how things break down and in and out. And then naturally, you progress into wanting to mm -hmm. to produce or make beats because that's what happened to me. Like I got tired of carrying speakers and 
you know, getting my crew to bring the shit up and down and amplifiers. <laughs> and I was just like, yo, I'm done with this. I, we Next level. What, what, what else we got to do now? And then at that same same time is when Todd was coming to the neighborhood, like in 87, and he was already popping, like he was doing his thing. Todd Terry. Yeah, and and and, and yeah, I just wanted, I would go to his house and watch him produce. So he you know taught you a lot of stuff? Or? From seeing him, yeah. And, and the crazy thing is, Todd is involved with a lot of things people Ooh, don't know about oh either. Oh my God. Oh. You know, it, you know that's, that Coney Island movement was is a whole nother animal, you know. <laughs> yeah. Todd was linked to Houdini. Oh, Todd was linked to Tony D, who was Idler's Records, who was Jungle Brothers, with the studio. That that same studio, it was crazy what was going on in that place because I can't really talk about it. But it wasn't yeah. nothing good. But the basement, that's where everything happened. You know, there was no way to get there. You had to take the train to Coney Island and walk from Stillwell to the to 30, 33rd Street or something that's like a that. Long, that's a long trip. And gangsta at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. You Dangerous. know what I'm saying? So, but it's crazy. That's where I recorded my first album in 1988. At this basement? The Chaos record was done there in the same basement that Jungle did their shit. Royal House was done there. All that stuff was done there. Wow. You know, a lot of history. And it was crazy because fast forward a little bit. Greg Four, who had a label called Jump Street, I don't know if you remember that, but um, he had a label called Bad Boy before Puffy, which <laughs> I was on Bad Boy. That's crazy. My first record's on Bad Boy before Puffy. And it was at this studio, and I had called Greg one day, and I was like, yo, like, I want to put that album out again. He's like, you can have it. I'm like, where are the tapes at? That's the only tape I don't have, mm. master of. Oh, and he's like, Ken, it got washed away in Sandy. Oh, shoot. That was oh. really recent, too. All, all the tapes were still there, oh, like man. the Jungle Brothers stuff. Like, all the stuff was still in the house. Oh. It's crazy. What a letdown. Yeah, so I was just like, wow, that's deep, you know? But but all that stuff was there in, in, in Coney Island. Um, but, yeah, Todd, Todd, and Todd was linked to... A lot of different things, you know. He was linked to um, uh, doom, 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 doom. what's that? Uh, mm. um, uh, on Prelude, uh, CD three. Yeah, yeah. Those were his boys. Like that whole move. It was a whole movement of them that 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 did all this music. You know wow. what I'm saying? It's crazy. But yeah, going to his house is how I picked up. You know, him watching produce vocals. You know him doing the production and stuff like that and and then i wanted to do it myself wow now just going back a little bit about this sandy thing mm -hmm. um and natural disasters and mm -hmm. and things that cause change um i think it's it's an it's an interesting folklore story that i've heard about jeff you in particular and i imagine both of you was pre-serato there was a mm. story about q-tip yeah and his house burning down yeah yeah so is that that's true? Yeah. yeah. Well, he he lost a lot of his music, like, and it's funny because, you know, um, un, very very unfortunate for him yeah. losing his music. But I, but Kenny was the one that initiated. We need to start backing up our music, um, and it was it was really crazy because Kenny started backing up 
you know, a lot of the funk and soul stuff. And I started, and, and, and when I say backing up, we were just recording. <laughs> we were just recording all of the mm-hmm. records. Um, and I started doing a bunch of hip hop and then Kenny would just give me a hard drive of stuff that he had. I would give him a hard drive, stuff we had. I've heard about this hard so drive. So it was really <laughs> wild when Serato came out, we kind of already had music for Serato because we were we were basically backing our musical library up just in case because you know at at that point in time when when that happened i think anybody who had any records or things like that that's stuff that we didn't really think about we didn't think about a natural disaster taking all your records out or you losing all your equipment and 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 that kind of shook everybody up it was kind of like okay we have to figure out something something because you almost you felt really bad you know for you know you felt bad for him that you know these are records you know and 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 like i said these are you know sometimes you you're looking for a record for five six years and you find it and you're you 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 almost are like i'm the only one that i think has this record (laughs) and then if you lose it you know you know what's crazy um when we did when Will and I did the Magnificent Jazzy Jeff, I had a record um, that was by T.J. Swan that was, you know, basically said, I am the Magnificent. And that's when I used to cut that. Someone stole my records at a show, stole my drum machine, stole my records, and they took that record. And I did not have that record for maybe 12 to 15 years. Like, I, I still had the sample in my drum machine, but I completely lost the record until Kenny found it and gave it to me. Oh man. You know, mm. like 15 years later. That's going to be a great feeling. Like to this get it wasn't, back. you know, but but understand when you're thinking about that, like think about all of the records that he probably lost that at that point in time was close to impossible to get back. Nah, this is 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 never never can happen again. No. That's a nightmare. Impossible. Like like I just I just um I was telling Jeff like I'm actually moving at the end of the month. And I thought I had about fifty thousand. I got a bone like ninety thousand. <laughs> That's records, quite, a, quite right? a significant jump, right there. No, no, no. I, I, in my head, all these years, I'm like, I got forty, fifty thousand, whatever. Every, in all the interviews, it's like, how many records you got? I'm not forty, fifty thousand. That's just more like ninety thousand. Wow. Pushing a hundred. Yeah. Damn. And I, as I'm boxing this stuff up, and I'm looking to it, and I, I remember it puts you in a certain <sighs> time. It puts you in a certain era. A certain country, you know, in my rider, everybody has in their rider liquor, chicks, you know, <laughs> drugs. I had record stores in my rider. Like when I went to Europe, first thing off the plane to the store, pre-internet, pre-none of this shit. Like we had lists. These are the spots you got to go to. This is who got what. These they specialize in soul. They specialize in funk. This boom. This store only has break beats. That's all they sell. And that's what we did. You know, so all that all when I'm packing this stuff up and I'm like, wow, this is like nineteen ninety-three. I was in London, boom, the store called Time is Right. I remember bumming into Trub Rock there. He, you know, he was buying shit. And it was just like, I came home with a Nike stack and I'm like, it's that whole that 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 show right there, you know? But it's like you this stuff is priceless, man. Like, yeah. you know, it's like you, some of these these 45s that I found, like, you know, being up in the Bronx and, you know, 
and you go to the basement of the store and I go down the steps and I'm up to here in water. Like my foot is like, and then there's flies like the size of this <laughs> big That's flying nasty. around. And I'm like, and I'm with a crew. It's, it's yeah. a crew of us there, you know what I'm saying? And I, I go down first because I got to be down first. So I want to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I go in and I pull out the first joint. I pull out a Skull Snaps 45, which at that time, we hadn't really seen. I didn't even know. Yeah, it's that, a new day. Skull snaps, like you know the beat. Oh yeah, yeah, no, but it. I didn't even know that it existed on forty five. It's on GSF on the four, the first record I pulled out. The, <laughs> wow! I'm like, peace out. I'm gone. I'm in the truck. It was snowing outside. I'm I'm done. Because they know? repressed it on forty five, but yeah, I never but knew it came originally. On this 45. is yeah the original Shh. joint. So it's like things like that. It, it puts you in that mindset, and to think that. Tip was the same way. Tip was on the road with the group and touring and picking up stuff on the road. And there's things you're just never going to see again. Weird jazz records that were, you know, recorded in Germany or wherever, or just a local Ohio record. It's just you never, you know, sometimes you're never going to see this shit again. You that's, know? that's the magic of, of vinyl, though, right? It's like. Yeah. It, it's never ending. Yeah. It's definitely never ending. I've come to that conclusion. It's like you're always gonna see something you never saw before. Yeah, you know. I think that's that's the allure of it still to this day. I mean, I still. Well, that's what keeps us going, right? Yeah, right. yeah. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's like it's, I I think I realized like it was funny like you know of course vinyl and sneakers. I remember starting to travel and going to places that had sneakers that everybody wanted, and then you find yourself there. You know, everybody wanted to go to Hong Kong, go to Sneaker Street. And it's kind of like, all right, I'm in Hong Kong. And I remember going and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going in and I'm, and I'm buying those and those and those and those. And I remember getting over there one time and walking into the store and I was just kind of like, ah, <laughs> I think I got them all. Yeah. Oh, really? And you realize yeah, they stopped. the chase is the chase. Knowing you, I realize that you don't ever really, really deep down want everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's something out there that you're looking for that that's, you know, it's like being an, an explorer. You can't find everything that you want. Then there's nothing to go look for. Like part of being an explorer is going to explore. If you find everything, you kind of like, man, this nah. shit is whack. <laughs> so, but you know, like, like he said, like what, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with, you know, case in point, there's a very popular break that my brother played bass on. And I didn't realize that until Kenny let me know. It's like, yeah, this Carl Sherlock Holmes record. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it's, like he's, I, it's, listen, I know the group. Tell's your brother. I don't know you had a brother that played. Listen, I I'm know, like, is that your? He's like, yeah. It is. <laughs> like, listen, but this is a record. Like, I know my brother. I'm like, man, you're probably Soul Seven, right? So private press kind of deal. You know, like, but this Expensive is a collector's item. And I'm like, yeah, we got this in the crib. You know, this is my brother's <laughs> record. Like, yeah, Jimmy played on this. Record. You know, but think of how many records that are like that. That it might have been. 200 pressed ever that oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's this break and it's kind of like you can't find it you know but I landed in Australia and went to the store and lo and behold there's a copy let alone it's a copy it's three dollars <laughs> yeah. you know so but but that that's why it never ends yeah. that's, that's why it never ends that's one of the reasons why I started KD Records was 
to because I was playing these really expensive funk records and kids were coming up and they were like, yo, like, what's that? And I'm like, this record's 1500. It's so and so, but it's 1500. Right. Oh, what's that? And this is 3000. And then, like, expensive shit. So I was like, you know what? I got to start some. And I started to to seek out the master rights to to wanting to reissue these rare records so these kids can actually buy them so we could keep pushing the music forward. Yeah, that's so smart, man. You know what I mean? Because because if if we, why am I going to keep it to myself? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When this this record's so dope, even though they sold two copies when it came out, but you know I've repressed it eight times. You know what I'm saying? So uh, ten been, times. You know what yeah. I mean? Because because it, it just is just one of those things that. It keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. You know, so yeah, got to yeah, keep pushing and, it forward. And then you know what? When when you even think about just him getting into that, thinking the level of that is because that started from him searching for these records. That's that started from Kenny finding the diamond. He went searching and found a diamond. And didn't want to keep the diamond for himself. Like every time he shows this diamond to somebody, they're like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is whack because I only I am the only one that has the diamond. Like, let me find a diamond manufacturer and manufacture a bunch of them so a bunch of other people can can have it. You know, you know, music is funny because there are times that, you know, you can have the best record in the world and put it out two weeks later and no one likes it. Mm. Like it's not it's it's time, you know. It's all it's, about it's, time, yeah. Yeah, sure. it's it's time has a lot to do with it. So so much of this great music came out at a time that might have been way over somebody else's head. Yeah, and then too futuristic. Ten years later, this is like this is genius. You know, it's you know, un- unfortunately, there are a lot of people that you feel the 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 credit came after they were gone. Oh, because they were, you know, like I, I just didn't understand it when I was here, or you know, for whatever reason, it could have been politics, it could have been record company, it could have been, you know, even looking at like that searching for Sugar Man, yeah, you know, documentary that is kind of like, yo, this is crazy, because, you know, like for him to come back twenty five, thirty years, like people thought he passed away, <laughs> and it was just like, you know, I think what made stories like that so great was he was able to become appreciated. In his lifetime. In his lifetime, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know. It's like Manziel. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same story. It's like, you know, he did two singles. He did Midnight Theme and Space Funk, which I'm sure you know the two breaks. I actually have the KD pressing of that. When okay. you mentioned that, so, I, that was the one I got from yeah, you. Yeah. So it's like, you know, Manziel. An, another crazy story. Like he recorded these two singles, Ohio-based label, puts them out, private stock is interested in his album because of the two singles. It's 1976. They record the record, record the album. The record's supposed to come out in 77. Star Wars comes out. His record is an electronic sound because it's synth. He plays, he's a keyboard player, so he, a lot of synthesizer. They said, we're shelving this. We can't compete with Star Wars, so we're not putting out your album. Wow. So we go digging for space funk and midnight theme to reissue those right we didn't know there was an album we just want to get those so we go meet him in dc and he's a retired colonel so he's been in the service all these years and he's based you know virginia dc area so we go to go to his crib so i'm talking to him or whatever and and 
you know, talking about space funk. And he says, hold on, his wife is there. He's like, give me one second. Comes back. He brings out a test pressing of the album. Oh, my gosh. He's like, this is the midnight theme album that was never released. And I'm like, there's an album? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And then the next thing, he's like, and I got the tapes. Oh, my God. Oh, what? So when when he, he pulled out the tapes, we did the deal or whatever, and that's how we were able to reissue that album because I mixed all the stuff from the tapes. Whoa, wow. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just crazy, you know, how things are. That's a fantastic, like a, a it, good feed, good vibe. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, he, and he's great. He's just such a good dude, like, you know what I mean? Like, to, for him to see that record finally come out, you know what I mean, for him. Yeah. So he joined the the force before or after the the midnight theme. Before, yeah, yeah. This is like he did he did his run initially, record sold or whatever. They did bootlegs of the record, yeah. you know. They all got the press, you know, yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. And then he he got into the service, you know. He ended up from he was originally from Ohio. He ended up in D.C. Virginia area. Is he yeah. performing at all these days? He wants to. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. And he's dope. He's still dope. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And that's something what yeah. we what we talked about the other day. But yeah, it's like all day. You know, the drummer actually passed away from drugs. Um but but the the guitar player in him, they still they still really dope. Really, mm. really dope. I mean, I even feel like just talking about people not getting full full appreciation in their lifetime, that applies to even someone like as big as Dilla, you know, like yeah. after uh, he passed. Yeah. Yeah revered forever yeah listen man we did a we did a digging trip well <laughs> in pittsburgh and i was like not like it's crazy you know playing them songs and playing them shit that he never heard and he would play us stuff and we ended up doing that jerry's run and mm -hmm. it was a great trip man what was jerry's run jerry's is a, a store in pittsburgh okay um everything was cheap dollar two dollars three dollar records and um we were talking, and then we, it was I kind of Jeff and Dilla. I was out. It's it's a long. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy how things happen. Cause um, a friend of mine that I know in Portland who used to, used to do mail order. He used to work at the store that did mail order, and this is like ninety five, ninety six, maybe. Um, yeah, about 95, because that's when he was shopping Fantastic Album. So 95, I'm buying records from this mail order service in Portland, shipping up records. I became really cool with the kid that was selling me the records. So he's like, look, you should come out of Portland, blah, blah, blah. Go out there, long story short, me, we, we go on and dig. But then he linked us. JD was a, a used to buy records there, too. Ah. Easy Mo B used to buy records there, too. So You kind it, of... It was like a known thing in the digging community? Nah, it was just the spot had mm -hmm. stuff for cheap. And oh, wow. yeah. the kid was into hip-hop. You know Ryan Shortell. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was into hip-hop, so he kind of put us all together. Oh, dope. So then um, me and Jay were kept in touch or whatever, and then I was like, look, man, there's this spot that's supposed to be crazy. You want to take a run. Now, he used to come to New York all the time on the $75 plane from Detroit to, to, to LaGuardia. <laughs> too. You know, there oh, was yeah? like a seven. Oh, yeah. Seven, he was good with the $75 flight. <laughs> $75. I don't know how he found this shit. Like $75, like he would come and he would come for the day and go back home yep. at night. Yeah. Wow. 
Like, That's dedication, man. Yeah. No, no. He would come, dig, and then go back at night. Yeah. Or he would come do a session in New York and go back. So then I was like, yo, there's um, there's a spot in Pittsburgh or whatever. So we ended up. So I said, Jeff, like, let's go. Like the whole crew. So we all went. Yeah, that was the best digging trip of my life. It was life. fucking really? amazing, yeah. man. Like, yeah. we were in this spot, like, <laughs> he was the back of me and I was like, yo, look at the, you know this? And he's like, nah, he's there. And he's passing stuff over to me. Amazing, man. Amazing, amazing. And it there's, was a, crazy there's a photo of it yeah, floating it, online. It was a crazy because this was at a point in time where I kind of stopped digging and I felt really out of touch. And it was so dope to have Kenny on one side, Dylan on the other side, and they were like, we got you. <laughs> and while they were digging amongst themselves, Kenny would just be like, you know what this is? And I will say, no. And he would just put it in a pile. Dylan would come over, like, you got this? I said, no. And he would just put it in a pile. So they were making piles for themselves, but they were making piles for oh, me. Oh, man. That's um, crazy. The, it was gift. funny because we, we, we drove from Philly. We drove from Philly to Pittsburgh, and we probably got to Pittsburgh about 6 in the morning. And we went to a motel, and we all crashed out till about 9. We went to an IHOP and got breakfast and pulled up in front of Jerry's right when they opened. And he opened the door and we walked in. First of all, Jerry's has like three million records. So when oh, we wow. walked in the door, I don't think anybody moved for about five minutes because you're just yeah, looking you at stuck. all these records. Stuck. So then when we walked in and, and everybody just went to the point that, you know, somebody went up the street and bought some hot dogs and we came back and we <laughs> ate in the store. Like, it's like and we just, but we stayed there until no the store though, closed. Man. Imagine that shit. Yeah, we stayed till the store closed. So it was funny. Because I was the first person that walked to the register. So I got a pile of records. So first of all, no one is thinking about how are we going to get these records home. So I was like, I walked and I was just like, all right. So I'm thinking like, you know, every record in there was $3, $2. So it wasn't really expensive. So I was like, man, I probably spent about, ah, uh, man, I easily $900. He didn't even count them up. He looked at the pile and said, give me 200. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> I would have bought more if I didn't. Yeah, so everybody fine. went out and started adding stuff. And he like he gave us all of the records for cheap. And, uh, and it was so funny because we closed the store. And I remember us, the picture is us all leaning against the truck because we had boxes and boxes of records trying to figure out how are we going to get them home? Like, literally, we were driving six hours from Pittsburgh, and Dylan might have been laying on a pile of records because <laughs> there was no room on the seat. But it was kind of like... And it was I, a navigator truck at yeah. that time. It was, pretty, it was a yeah, big a truck. Big, yeah. You know what I mean? But it was crazy. crazy. Like, especially, you know, we all came back to the house and slept and woke up the next day, and it was crazy to watch them just go through the records and it was just like you know you pull it out and he play it and i'm like oh my god oh my god you know and i still have i still have all of those records is jerry's still open yeah jerry's is open so people yeah, can jerry's, still make the, yeah. the he, journey he actually he actually sold all the stuff at one point but then he's it was funny i just watched a video on him the other day um on youtube and uh he's like they call me a hoarder but i'm not really a hoarder i just love records and he's got like yeah, four million records still. Wow. Yeah. Like he got more again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the hell he got them from, but yeah, it's 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 a dose. It's it's very different than when we went. Yeah, but you know, it's definitely an experience to go. You know, if you ever want to go look at records and 
look at children's records and look at so many different genres of stuff that you don't typically yeah. get to see in a in a store, you know. Did I think it, Amoeba is like the closest thing to, you know, yeah. that kind of vibe where you walk in and it's just like, you know as what I mean? As far as you can see, yeah. 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 Love Amoeba. Amoeba's a great spot. Yeah, man. yeah. San Francisco, LA. They, they got other stores? I only know San Francisco and LA. Same. But um, those records, did anything come? Like, did you guys end up making beats out of those records? Oh, my God. Oh, man. I gave um, I gave Ivan the, the Soul Child record. Ivan Barry? Yeah. yeah. That's oh, where really? he made the music Soul Child record. I gave him that sample. Which sample was that? The the one. The, just, uh, just Friends? Yeah. Just Friends, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was like, yo, you need to use that. Oh, so Ivan was on this trip, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, wow. Shout out Ivan. That's yeah. one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite yeah. records. And it, and sure. and you know what it is. Um, it didn't matter. I'm, it was like, yeah. yo, man, do that. Do your thing. You know. What I'm, I'm just start. I'm just organizing my records again. Um, and it's wild to go through records, and you see the Jerry's tag on it that I know that I either got this from Kenny or Dilla. Wow. That this was, you know, it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from those records you made music soul child um not me ivan ivan mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah the question i was going to ask was uh um so you know with obviously sampling records you guys have sampled records and made oh yeah great yeah. beats out of yeah. them um and sometimes the, you guys have gotten in maybe legal hot water or had difficulty clearing samples yeah can you tell us any stories about specific records like that no <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you don't, I want could it. tell you a good story though. Um, when I did the Buckethead record, um, the bomb joint. Put that out on 12 inch. We sold about 10,000 one week on vinyl. Second week, another 10,000. Third week, another 10,000. It was like, all right, it's time to clear the sample. So we ended up clearing it. We had sold 30,000 records in three weeks. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and then just basically cleared it and it took off, you know? So, so you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you got to use your judgment, use discretion, and and when to and when not to, and and all that kind of stuff, you know. But um, a lot of the, I've come a lot, you know, doing the reissues and stuff. A lot of the old musicians love it, to the fact that they feel that they created this music, and then for someone to come along and hear it a different way, and take it and flip it and twist it around a lot of them get it mm -hmm. and then some of them don't you know what i'm saying the ones that don't we kind of know who they are um because they've been very vocal ab about it that they don't Public. want people touching their stuff and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff but for the most part probably like 70 percent of them they they're into it because it, it just pushes them yeah. in a whole nother new direction that they normally wouldn't get put into you know what i'm saying so whether it's house whether it's hip-hop whether it's brazilian whether it's whatever kind of genre of music it is or whoever takes what style and creates something new out of it it's going to a new audience you know what i mean so um 
it can get touchy. You know, there's people that actually license records just to sue people. Yeah. That's how grimy this gets. Wow. You know, and and listen, at the end of the day, we all got to live and we all got to feed our families and stuff, but that's just outright grimy just to to pick up anything you could pick up yeah. just to sue people. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Just to buy catalogs, just to buy, just, you know what I mean? It's just like, come on, man. Like It's counterproductive to the, the creation culture. of music. Well, it's, def- yeah. it's definitely counterproductive it's, it's to whack, the culture man. that, you know, you know? Um, you you kind of understand the argument on 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 both sides. Sampling a lot has has educated a whole new generation to people, you know, and you, and that's not taking anything away from somebody. You know, I kind of think it is it's a two way street. You know, the way Definitely. the way that it works. Um, you know, you're discovering something and bringing it to a whole new audience. You know, what, what Kenny has done reaching out to a lot of people who have the masters and reissuing them, you know, that's that that's incredible. But that all basically started from someone digging through records and you sampling and saying that this is something that I think the world should hear, you know, and at a different time. So that's a very DJ a, a real DJ approach to things though. You know, I mean the fact of a DJ is, you know, you're playing music, but part of I mean in my opinion part of being a DJ is finding music that other people may not know about it's and present it to the world it's crazy I just mixed something for a friend who has a, a label called Now Again and the West Coast mm-hmm. for e, my man Egon and the guy is 96 did wow. these records never came out nothing Egon found it he's like yo I found this album I want to send it to you he sent it to me and when he told me the story, I was like, I got to do this for him. Mm. I just got to do it for him. You know just what I'm saying? Love. I just, I just got to do it. Yeah. I got to figure out how to do it in between my whole madness <laughs> of the last couple of months. <laughs> and I did it. And he, they, 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 all the band members are blown away. But the main producer who arranged all the music, he's 96 years old. Wow. And, and like, I'm hitting Egon. And I'm like, yo, did he hear yet? He's like, yo, I had to mail them. <laughs> oh right, a CD. I'm like, what? He's like, he's 96. Yeah, he's not using. He's not transfer yeah. or email. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you got Dropbox. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, because I was just curious to see, you know, to to see what he thought, and they ended up loving it and stuff. So that feels good, you know. Yeah. It's just like you give back, and and these guys, you know, a lot of of the artists from the 60s and 70s, you know. They put their blood, sweat, and tears into this music. Some of them paid for it themselves. Some of them mm. had day jobs that they would be in the studio at night recording, you know what I'm saying, to 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 do what they wanted to put out and then sold their singles on, on the weekend at their shows. You know, kind of what we do today with their merch and stuff. They were doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, but um, using their own money and, and stuff like that. So it, it's kind of dope to give back to them, you know. Mm. So... I mean, the, back to the discovery and, and the mm-hmm. promotion of music. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as DJs, you know, you guys obviously get to hear a lot of music and stuff. But, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your feeling on what your responsibility is, you know, to yourself and to the audience of presenting music to people? I gotta stay within who I am. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's the biggest thing. They they came a point a couple years ago that I thought it was the end for in, me. In what way? Because it was just the music that was coming out. I was just like, I couldn't play it. And everybody was telling me that I had to play that in order to get booked. Mm. 
And I was just like, nah, I'm not doing that. It's not you. It's not me. Yeah. It's not me. And it, and it was just like a point where I said, you know what? I told Tracy, I was like, listen, like, I think this is it. Like, she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I cannot play this. You know what I mean? It, it, and all, a lot of the guys that went on to play it, now they're trying to come back to to the fold, but it's just like it's not that easy because yeah. once you leave that behind yeah. and you leave your legacy behind and you leave and you touch uncharted waters that you don't belong, people ain't stupid. They they ain't they ain't trying to have that. So that's that was the time when I was like, oh shit, like this I think this is it for me, you know? And and it's tough because you say to yourself, you know, this is what I've done my whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Play this music and pay people's music and do make music and and all that. So you know, um, yeah, that's just. But you know, things are things are better now. Not great, you know what I mean? I just feel that there's like a lot of stuff is re very repetitive. It's a roller coaster. You know what I mean? And and I, that's one of the things of me going south and relocating and and all that and being close to Jeff and is just to to reset. Mm. You know, I'm pretty much done with up top, you know, New York area and just need some new inspiration and mm -hmm. new vibes and new culture and new everything. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I'm 49, so it's just like done it my whole life there. So um, I, I know inside I have a lot more to give, but it's just like when you're being held back because certain people or whatever is like, Nah, you can't do that. Mm. You know, I don't want to be confined. I've never been confined ever. You know what I mean? I just kind of roll with the vibe, whatever it is, you know? So that's what we're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. It's also different because I think we find ourselves now in the driver's seat. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, Kenny was an early adopter of making music and putting it out. You know, there's a lot of people that are just getting to that point of not only can you make it, but you can be the the, the guy to, to kind of release it. Um, and then having the whole studio access um, and then the musicianship, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're at a point now that it's kind of like, I, I don't think there's something that we can hear or think of that we can't make. And, and, and you know, you, as a DJ, I feel like your job is the music messenger. If your job is to, spread the message it's really great when not only can you spread the message but you can make the message that you're spreading so Full i control. think just you know yeah and and and, it, and it's really that i think you know I, i've always had this weird and and i always preface it before i say it i'm not a control freak but i've always had this weird thing that i wanted to control or be able to control everything that goes on like you know i, I enjoy cooking food I want to grow it though. Right. Like I want to plant, plant the seed. I know what's in the soil. Let me, you know, I know when it rained and I know, you know, that I harvest it and I know what's in it, that if I can grow the food and cook the food and serve the food, I'm a hundred percent confident that people will enjoy it. So it's kind of like, and we're going to live much longer. Yeah. Cause the crap that's in the food today. Completely. Like, come on, man. So it's kind of like, you know, you know, we're getting to this position now that is kind of like, wow, you know, we have an amazing network of musicians, producers, you know, DJs. You know, that's pretty much what like whole, the whole playlist thing is about. That is kind of like, yo, like 
let's 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 create this self-containing community not saying that this you know you're not trying to be a separatist no um but but it's just kind of like yo like we can all help each other because it's kind of like somebody in the community is a carpenter and somebody in the community you know knows how to paint and somebody in the community is an architect like if you can use the community to make the entire community better you know it's Why not? Great, you know and i think you know I, I i love you know getting older you know looking at somebody like puffy who owns rock looking at jay-z who owns title looking at dre who you know you own beats to the point you sold it for a billion dollars like you know we are the elder statesmen and i love seeing us in those positions that you know puffy drank vodka jay-z listened to the radio and dre used someone else's headphones so it's kind of like to get in that position that is kind of like you know we, we we're more the elder statesmen and you can kind of create this environment um, that you that you have a lot more control is is exciting and you know and and like Kenny said you know it, it you live longer yeah well and your legacy lives forever yeah but that way yeah I mean what you yeah specifically with the playlist retreat what you know that's a gift you know to to so many people and and uh, it, it sets a it sets a you're, you become a role model for a community mm -hmm. you know um, you're not asking to be a leader you're just saying look this is what we can do right and, and and you know i think the funny thing about it this isn't something that you set out to do it's almost like you feel like it's my responsibility to do it i have no idea where it came from it wasn't like i woke up one day and there was an epiphany but it's kind of like yo i walked down the street and i fell in this hole and I need to make sure whoever comes down the street, if you're going to fall in a hole, you're not going to fall in the same one I fell in. Mm. I'm going to let you know about this hole. If you want to fall in it, let it be a new hole. But if everyone kind of starts taking that approach, you know, then, you know, we're going to be a lot better off. Yeah. I think it's, that's, it's really interesting hearing you both talk about specific things, uh, you know, the tribu tribulations of your careers and, you know, the, the things that you discovered with, you know, licensing and, and all these things, because we don't, I mean, the, that that kind of information isn't very easy to find. You know, you, you don't Google that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, is you gotta understand, hip hop is very secretive, like, and always has been. You know what I mean? Struggling um, labels. Um, I'm just, it's just, it's mine. Mm. Nah, I ain't gonna show you that record. Yeah. Nah, I'm covering that record. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm covering that record. So it's like, you know, uh, how do we not pass it on? You know, and I think part of one of your other questions earlier how did everything get so separate was because of that yeah right you know what i mean just being so this is mine i ain't showing you i ain't getting your piece in but you know it's like there's enough bread for everybody to to to, to make you know what i mean um and it got stagnant for a long time because of it didn't get passed on you know i think a lot of the older artists they finally realized that it is too late because they done kept it secrets mm. for so long. You know what I mean? That yeah. these young kids went and made their own shit. They're like, yo, we don't need them. We make our own stuff. Yeah. We can't, we created our own genre right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and shit, more power to them. Like the kids now are into them. And, and it's like how we were into Tribe and Della and, and those groups and the groups before them and all the funk groups before them the same thing mm -hmm. but i think for 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 us 
as a unit, we want to be able to pass the stuff on and make things happen like that. You know what I mean? And and we've 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 brought a lot of people together separately and together. You know, uh, one of the things we did, we brought a lot of the older older mm-hmm. groups that wasn't getting no 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 light at the time or shine. We brought those people together. It didn't matter who it was. You could play, all right, boom, let's let's do it. You know, that's like when we did New York and Soul. It was just like mm-hmm. we bring right. we bringing a lot of different people together to create this vibe, you know. And the same thing with Jeff. When he yeah. had a touch of jazz, he would bring in a lot of different producers, a lot of different artists and songwriters and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's definitely which what is I... special. You know, yeah. people don't you don't you don't get that energy. You know, it's like every time I used to go to Philly and come back, I was just like. That shit will last me like six months. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like just just from being there two three days, just the the inspiration and just everybody's vibe and how every, everybody was cool and just just being in that that air. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, so we need more of that. Mm-hmm. You know where where different paths connect and you know you have somebody that might be into rock music but they come in and they bring a different edge to it and they enhance and they go here and then you know it's we need that more more collaborating and that's what the the that's what he's built up with the with the whole retreat thing you know i wasn't able to go for the first couple Mm -hmm. years because i was just running around but he kept telling me he's like yo can you please not book any dates for this time (laughs) because you need to come witness this what's going on over here is very special all right, Jeff. And then they would go book my shit, and then I wouldn't go another <laughs> year, and it was just like. And then finally, he, he told me, and he was like, "Look, that's it. You can't, you can't, you can't do that." I told Tracy, "I'm like, listen, like, I gotta, I gotta get there somehow." And I was in Ibiza, and I was, yeah. And I flew oh, from right. Ibiza in for the first one, and flew back. But again, it's just one of those experiences that you can't pay for. You can't. It's just vibeless. Like I told him, I said, "Listen, man, when you come down that, when you turn that corner into that driveway, everybody's egos is right at the end of that shit." Yeah, they at the mailbox. Leave his shit right there because you know what? <laughs> We're all equal in this motherfucker. Yeah, you know, yeah. everybody is is bringing something to the table. And it's great generational. You know? There's there's no uh, respect. The, the respect factor is stupid. It's on steroids. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's a monster in their own right. In there. You know, and whoever don't get it, yeah. get the fuck out, yeah. straight up. <laughs> Seriously, get the fuck out because you know what? You don't belong because, like I said, everybody in this room or this yard or this studio is a monster in their own right. Yeah. They 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 do their thing regardless, however you want to look at it. Ill songwriter, ill yeah. rapper, ill singer, ill producer, ill beat maker, musician, guitarist, whatever. There was fucking heart players in there one time. I was <laughs> like, right. oh, kind yeah. of shit there, you know? So, yeah. Well, I just wanted to end on, on that say thank you guys for sharing your time yeah, with man. us. Yeah, no doubt, um, man. Thanks for giving those gifts, those gems of knowledge, sure. experience. You ask good questions, you get yeah. a good answer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, thank you, and uh, let's thank enjoy you. the rest of uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. Peace, Peace, man. All right. No doubt. All right. Peace. That's dope.